The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. I am Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. So we're going to talk about Lenaway judicial elections. We're going to talk about speech assignments going back to college. Pat Tandy, I hope you're tuned in. I know I owe you some writing, but you gave a speech in college, man, that blew me away and you made a comment that day that will stick with me we're going to bring it up tonight and then reflection on concerts in new jersey there was nothing quite as fun as not being able to get into law school and going to concerts while working many hours as a bartender i'll tell you about a blind date i had at trump marina when vertical horizon and sister hazel were there it was a weird night you may the live audience may have heard me bitch about this one before but we'll get to it This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. Okay. And first of all, I want to thank um, the community of Ann Arbor for nominating us. As we're in the mix for one of the best criminal defense firms. Appreciate that. Um, I'm not sure if my Facebook lives are going to hurt or help the scales, but it was nice being nominated. Um... I gotta imagine some people won't want us winning that award. And I promise you this, whether we win the award or not, I'm still gonna make some people's lives hell on certain cases. Okay, Lenaway judicial election. Somehow I've been doing a lot of Lenaway work. It's really weird, right? You know the thing about Lenaway that's frustrating is you can't take the highway. Going down all these weird roads and you know, if GPS can't get me there, I'm screwed. But we had a, a bunch of cases actually in Lenaway lately. Um, and there's a judicial election spot open in our district court, in their district court, not to say ours. And Judge Power, or Poor, however you pronounce his name, really good guy, and Joanne Spade, they ran a great district court. Judge retired. Todd Morgan got appointed. Todd Morgan is a defense lawyer. I didn't know Todd that well. Um, we'd see each other in court sometimes. But let me tell you, getting to know Todd and watching him on the bench, he is the perfect fit for that bench out there. He knows the law. He's very objective. He's fair. He knows scoring guidelines. Uh, we're going to get behind Todd Morgan. Nothing against Chris Fleming or Ashley, whoever that woman is, or Lacoste. I know there's four people running. Um, Todd Morgan's the incumbent. He got the appointment. I think he's a great guy. And when I always say this about judicial elections, and I think judicial elections become like street fights sometimes. It gets really interesting. It gets tense. You know, when you have a sitting judge who's doing a good job, there's an unwritten rule that you don't run against that judge. And though it's been a short period of time, Judge Morgan has done a hell of a job. Um, I think he's only going to get better with time. He's one of the most fair people I've come across, so I told the Nancy Gordon about to make sure we were on the same page, because if Nancy Gordon tells me about Lenaway, she knows more about Lenaway than me. Nancy Gordon is supporting Todd, and we're going to support Judge Morgan, and we'll get you some money, and we'll definitely, whatever you need from us, I think you're going to do a great job. I think you're going to pull this thing off. I think the Lenaway future is in good hands with you at the district court level. 
Okay. Let's talk about college. Let's get weird. In college, I had Chuck McGeever as my professor in a few classes. And as many of you may remember Chuck, he's the one who left a message on my answering machine explaining how he was in love with me and my aunt and mom heard the message when I came home circa 1998. Very interesting man. And one of the ways Chuck and I got to meet each other before he fell in love with me, which, you know, was a little uncomfortable because Chuck, um, he was like a mentor. And I used to talk girls with him all the time, like my girl problems, and I don't know, he was kind of, it was interesting. I, I see why he gave such bad advice now. <laughs> he was, he's trying to keep me for himself. God. Chuck, may you rest in peace. I came to you to help me with women. You kept telling me not to go for certain ones. And by the way, you were not always wrong. But let's, you know, your mentor in college. He made us do speeches. And one day, we're all prepped on these speech topics. And you had to speak for like eight to ten minutes. And you had like your cue cards and this and that. And I was speaking and Pat Tandy was speaking. Pat Tandy, friend of mine from college, wants me to write for the New Jersey um, publication he has. Really good guy. Pat Tandy gave this speech about Hunter Thompson. And Pat had, like, eye makeup on. And he was screaming, if Hunter Thompson were alive today, he would scream, corporate America. And he jumped on top of the desk. And we're all sitting there in class like, whoa. That was um intense. I mean, Pat Tandy was this outside-the-box personality. I always respected and liked Pat a lot. When it was time for me to speak, I was the only one in class to get a perfect score, right? Like, I nailed this speech. It hit all the points Chuck told us. He goes, this was the perfect speech, blah, blah, blah. And Pat Tandy said to me after the class that day, he goes, 20 years from now, nobody's gonna remember Bill's perfect speech. But remember me screaming corporate America. And God, Pat, you were right. I don't remember that speech. I know I got a perfect score and people were like a little pissed off about it. And I remember watching your speech thinking, holy shit, this is perfect. He was so full of passion. He's getting into it. He's breaking stuff down. Pat, you killed that speech, man. And just as you predicted in 1997, nobody would ever remember my perfect speech, but we still talk about Pat Tandy's speech on Hunter Thompson. And Chuck is like the keeper of these speeches, right? He's the one telling us who's great and who's not. And looking back, isn't higher education bull? Let's be real. We jump through these hoops, right? We graduate from high school to go to college. We get the grades in college to sit for the LSAT. We take the LSAT to get into law school. We get the grades in law school to sit for the bar. Then we get the number on the bar to practice in the real world. And we know this is all bullshit. None of these things have anything to do with each other. I've had some of the best professors in New Jersey and some of the worst. And it always amazes me how a professor can grade writing. It's one thing to grade grammar. It's another thing to grade content. 
And one of the things about my content was it was always weird. It was outside the box. I remember I had a high school teacher once. Miss Scandia always told me to just speak my mind in my writing. That was powerful. But there were other high school teachers I had who told me if you use your frustration in writing, nobody's going to understand you. Spoken from somebody who stuck teaching English in Atlantic City, and they're a judge of great writers. The most inspirational things you can keep in mind is people that tell you you're not good enough. I've heard this from so many law school professors and people that pretend to be prosecutors and, you know, you don't do things by the book, you're not traditional, you're not standard. Isn't average boring? Good God. Anybody can tell you one and one equals two. But who the f*** can explain how one and one equals eleven? That's what we do. Alright? One and one equals eleven and here's how. Outside the box, guys. It's not illegal to figure out something that's not in the book. We can do this. And I'll tell you, there's so many educators, in my opinion, who try to curtail creative thinking. Pat Tandy that day, and Pat, if you're watching or when you watch this, you gave the perfect speech. Because your speech is what we're talking about 25 years later. What I did was I conformed to what was needed for the grade. Okay. No shame in that. But holy sh**, man, you were so far ahead of the curve. Which brings me to concerts in New Jersey. I'm going to talk about two concerts that come to mind. The first is when we were in college. And one of our friends was Jeff Cornell, who's a Facebook friend today. Jeff worked for uh, MTV Radio for years. Jeff was a badass guitar player. Probably still is. Jeff, if you're watching, you killed it in college, man. He had one of the best bands around. And we go to this bar in Margate to go watch Jeff's band. And um, two of the people that came were Pat Tandy and I think it was Paul Luda was the guy's name. I can't find Paul on Facebook. So... We have a good time at the concert. You know, it's a small bar, but it's a concert. And as Pat and Paul were leaving, and Pat, you could tell the story better than me. When you went over to Margate Bridge, you had to pay a 50 cent toll. And I guess they threw the quarters in it, missed it. And cops came and arrested them for not paying the toll. And they spent the night in jail for a 50 cent toll. The Margate Bridge, guys, they actually used to arrest people if you tried to run that 50-cent toll. And these guys didn't try to run the toll. They even offered the money to the cop, but they stopped like, nope, we're locking you up for the night. And Pat and Paul had some really interesting stories about that. It was a really interesting time. I, so college, you've heard me tell some college stories. Remember in college, I was working full-time, dating older cocktail waitresses, learning about life. I didn't go to frat parties or wasn't part of a frat or anything like that. But we, there were some really cool memories. 
Um, a lot of them revolve around Chuck McGeever in our communications section. Uh, some of the people died way too young. Um, we're still friends with some of the people on Facebook and such like that. But they were actually some pretty cool times. They were few and far in between because you didn't really get a chance to have the college experience. But I think of Jeff Cornell. I think of Pat Tandy. I remember Don Sanders was a cool guy. We had our moments that are memorable, and that's that's important, you know? I didn't get enough of them because I was working so much. I have some other moments that are pretty memorable from the casino, but we'll save that for another Facebook Live. Because we'll keep it PG tonight. Now, the second concert I remember vividly. I had a blind date that night, right? The year was 2000. I'm a kid. 23, 24 years old. And Trump Marina. Trump Marina for a while. That was one of Donald Trump's casinos. Was the hot spot for concerts. Used to go to the marina. And it was, um, I think it was the Cayman Ballroom. Is where they would like clear out the ballroom. And these bands would come in. And I wanted to go see Vertical Horizon. Vertical Horizon in 2000. They were kings of the world. Everything you want. I'll post it later, but that was the song. Everything You Want went to number one. And it was... Everybody was into that song. We wanted to see it live. There was a girlfriend wanted to set me up with. And it was one of those internet dating things. You know, like, before you could see the pictures, it was like you just actually got to know people. Which was... There's pros and cons of that, right? She was a little younger. I'm 24. She's, like, 21. And, um, she's just 21. She goes, what are you doing on Friday night? I was like, well, do you want to go to Vertical Horizon concert? Well, she was all excited. Yeah, I want to go to that concert. Like, this was the concert everybody wanted to go to. You ever been on a really bad date? Because <laughs> this date sucked. We get into the pavilion. And... She, I said, do you want a drink or something? She goes, yeah, I want a vodka and pineapple. Okay. So I get her the vodka pineapple. And she drinks it down like it was a glass of water. Like, hmm. And she goes, well, you only got me one? I'm sorry. So I get the hint, right? This girl wants to unwind a little bit. I'm driving. Who cares? She could drink. So, when I brought her the one vodka pineapple, she squigged it. She says, you only brought me one. Now, I'm thinking to myself, okay. I go up to the bar, tip the bartender, I bring back, I'm double fisting now. I bring her two vodka pineapples. And she says to me, what do you think, I'm a drunk? Like, mm, this is going to be fun. And all I'm thinking is, this girl's going to wreck the concert for me, right? She's not shutting up. She's telling me about her ex-boyfriend, and they're kind of off again and on again. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? And I'm thinking, boy, I could have went to this concert with anybody I wanted. And here's this nut, the vodka pineapple drinker. And by the way, she complained about the double fisting, and then she drunk them down. And I said, do you want another one? I don't know. You tell me. You're in charge here. 
She goes, if I want another one, I would tell you I want another one. Okay. Cool. Now, if this was like 2022, I would just text one of my boys, maybe the live audience, say, hey, make up a line, get me out of here. <laughs> right? But, all right. So you're trying to make the most of it. And I mean, and this was a horrible date. Horribly. She was a cute girl, but she was... What's the word? Dumb? Really dumb. Yeah. She had that South Jersey stereotype thing. Like, you'd be watching the concert, and she would, like, be staring at you, and then you would stare back. And she would pretend like she wasn't looking, she'd flick her hair in the air. It was so South Jersey. And she kept doing this over and over again, like, okay. So I said to her, you like to flick your hair, huh? Just why are you stalking me so much? Like, okay, I can't wait for this to end. But we're waiting for Vertical Horizon. Like, okay, remember why you're here? You're here to see this amazing concert. And in between, like, they're playing music, but it's really loud in there, right? It's really loud in the concert. So when you talk to each other, you had to yell a little bit. Hey, you know one of those things. So, in, like, the intervals when there was no noise, she would just keep yelling anyway. It was, it was a miserable date. But I want to see this band. Now, one of the opening bands was Sister Hazel. Nothing against Sister Hazel. Sister Hazel was cool, but we wanted to go see Vertical Horizon, right? So, Sister Hazel's the opening act. And let me tell you something. Do you ever go to a concert when you go to see one thing and then something else just steals the show? That's what happened that night. Sister Hazel was amazing. And they sang this song, and this song has stuck with me for 25 years. My favorite song, Champagne High. And Champagne High is about this guy and this girl. They break up. She's marrying somebody else. And he's watching the wedding. Like, he's going towards the reception. And he's just watching, like, his world kind of crumble. And the pain in the singer's voice. Never really felt that kind of pain in a relationship, but it was such a powerful draw. Listen to Champagne High by Sister Hazel. And you gotta pay attention to the lyrics. The lyrics were so far ahead of the time. The video was really cool. Stuart Scott from ESPN was in the video. May he rest in peace. It's a really unique video. I'll post the video, but check out the lyrics, okay? Sister Hazel was absolutely amazing. Vertical Horizon was good. Really good. And when I did everything you want, the crowd was roaring. But the star of the show was Sister Hazel. And it kind of... You know, you're on a bad date. Two things struck me that night one you're on a date so you're kind of looking forward to the date right that was a bust and here's vertical horizon this band you were dying to see and they were good but that wasn't what stole the show the one thing that i'll take from that concert the rest of my life was how powerful sister hazel was how amazing champagne high was when they banged that out it wasn't about Vertical Horizon. It wasn't about the blind date. 
it was about the opening act who nobody really came to see and they completely stole that moment what do we learn from that well sometimes expectations are not meant and sometimes reality exceeds expectations and when the reality exceeds expectations there's two things to keep in mind one holy shit, that's rare right and two you'll only catch that if your mind's open to it every preconceived notion going to that concert at trump marina was to see vertical horizon with this cute blind date i was supposed to be on at the end of the night i was happy never to see that girl again and i thought vertical horizon was good but hearing champagne high by sister hazel holy shit, that was utterly amazing one of the most powerful live performances you could ever hope for in This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. The Jail Visit. I'm dealing with some Shiawassee County bullshit. D Black. So as many of you know, the fake profile of D Black has been stirring up. And apparently D Black put a hit list out. Somebody who doesn't have enough balls to do a real Facebook profile put a hit list out. On this hit list, the names, Joe and Aaron Abera, Rob and Corey Lepley, Kathy McGuckin, Josh Champlain, Bill Amadeo, that's me, Mike McCockney, and their mouthpiece, Sue Wright. Do I have a mouthpiece? Holy shit. Guys. Okay. We're going to go through each of the people on the hit list. Why wasn't Mayor Ken on this list? They don't want him to win the election. He should have been on the list, right? Who's D Black? Let's start with that. Is it Tom Menke? Is it Brian Bagol? Is it Brian Boggs? Is it Jeremy Root? Is it Cindy Garber? I keep seeing that weird picture of Brian Boggs' wedding photo. He looks like Count Dracula. He's standing next to the blonde he was married to. I keep seeing that picture of Brian Boggs, but I don't see a picture of Brian Boggs on the Michigan pass list for the bar exam because he keeps failing it. So, I don't know. Listen, Brian, just because you put a bow tie on and try to look smart doesn't mean you're doing well in that MBE. If you want to have that debate, buddy, you let me know. Where the hell did Brian Boggs come from? This weird-looking little guy who thinks he's smart and tough with this bow tie on. I mean, <laughs> dude. Look at yourself, Brian. I <laughs> got Anyway. Let's talk about people with purpose. Let's start with Joe Abera. Joe Abera, man of integrity. Man who should be the sheriff in Shiawassee County man who has done everything to help that county and keeps dealing with social media bullshit. Joe Abera 
Man of Integrity, what's up, Joe? D Black, who are you? There's something I was told as a kid, and we'll talk later about drama between Jersey and Michigan drama, because I gotta tell you, and I, I love Michigan, but the thing I love about Jersey, the one thing I like about Jersey more than Michigan, is that your enemies stab you in the face in Jersey. Here, they do it on social media, and they do fake profiles, do it behind your back. D Black, dude, you are nothing but a coward hiding on social media. You couldn't hold Joe Abera's jock strap, to quote Larry Holmes. Boxing fans will get that joke. I don't know. Aaron Abera, one of the smartest people I know, hope she's a member of our law firm one day, has dealt with more bullshit because she had the balls to call the board of commissioners out for their So if you have courage and don't go against the status quo, you get named on D Black's hit list. <sighs> Rob and Corey Lepley. Because they spoke their minds, they get pulled into this bull. I was at Corey Lepley's deposition, and I watched Bagol's idiot lawyer ask her questions about is she running Facebook pages? And I asked, is this like a Dolbert hearing on social media? What the hell was that? It all comes down to the Kathy McGuckin case, right? They say Kathy McGuckin is a bitter employee. She's a bitter employee, in your opinion? Because she was fired wrongfully. I hope Kathy wins millions of dollars in this bullshit. I don't understand, but Goal's acting all tough. Dude, you're running for office, and you have lawsuits from ex-employees. I don't know. Common sense says this is not a good look for you. And your lawyers that are racking up the county bill while you show up thinking you're tough. Dude, you are not tough, Brian. You are a sheriff because your family has ties in Shiawassee and because you're the Republican candidate. Dude, stop. And D Black, if it's you, Brian, God, I feel bad for you. I mean, I knew some of the bullshit CSCs you presented to the prosecutor a week. Oh my god! A fake profile? Dude! Stop! Come on, let's grow up. Man, this is so frustrating. They're putting all these brilliant people on this hit list. Josh Champlain. Best journalist in the state of Michigan. Pure f***ing badass. He breaks the stories nobody else can break. D Black, I'm guessing you're more of a fan of Tom Makey. Because fake news is what you're all about. Mike Picotney. What I guess about Mike, somebody I admire. Tough cop. Animal lover. Good guy. And Jeremy Root, you are lucky Mike did not kick your fing ass when you gave him the finger. Are you. D Black, are you Jeremy Root? And then Sue Wright. Apparently Sue Wright's our mouthpiece. I love Sue Wright. I haven't seen Sue in a while. To say anybody's my mouthpiece is kind of crazy. I mean, I say all this shit sober, right? I mean, give me a break. I don't have a mouthpiece. Listen, let me break this shit down for you, alright? I grew up in the ghetto of Atlantic City. 
I was the only white kid in my neighborhood. We were poor as shit. I struggled to get my aunt and mom out of the fucking area of Pitney Village. You could not have lived a fucking day in my life in the 90s. I'm a man. You got a problem with me, you come to me face to face. We could talk it out. We could sign consent forms and just fucking go. I don't care. But your little bullshit social media? Dude, if it's a man, Jeremy Root, Tom Menke, be a man. This is my IP address. I'm talking shit about you. I can respect that. Talk shit to my face. Don't hide behind social media. This is pathetic. You want to talk shit about me? I'm on your list. I am honored to be on this fucking list. Honored. You don't know shit about me. I hear all about it. I got a Jersey accent, I live in Ann Arbor, and I come to Shiawassee, and I got money. Every thing I got, I earned. I didn't do it by hiding behind an internet profile. I didn't do it by talking shit behind people's backs. I did it by being a man. I fought like hell to get where I am in life. You don't know shit about me. I'm honored to be on this list. As Mike McCartney said, it looks like a god dinner invite list at the Comstock. This is my crew. You guys are so terrified that Mayor Ken might get on the board or that Mike is going to speak the truth or Josh is going to break one of the stories. How can anybody put credence in somebody who doesn't have enough balls to stand behind their name? D. Black is nothing more than a fictitious fucking character. And in some of the cases we're involved in, we know certain other people that are fictitious characters, right? But that's okay. It's good. We're fine. Guys, come on. Man up here. I always say this, and I gotta give it to Jersey. Because Jersey made me such a better criminal lawyer. And there was one case that blew me away. I had the CSC, and it was a bullshit CSC, in a county with the letter at the end of the alphabet. We'll leave it at that. And the officer put in the report the DNA does not match the defendant. <laughs> well, I kind of led with that, right? In Jersey, that never would have made the report. You know, a corporate cop would have just, like, hid that stuff. Here, right? Put it in. In Jersey, I mean, I know, I've had governors, I've had multi-millionaires, I've had all sorts of people threaten me. And usually the threats are, we're going to take your bar license, we're going to kill you, you know, we're going to slit your tires. Here, what D. Black does is we're going to put you on a list. We're going to talk shit about you behind your back. Stop. Let me tell you something. Walking home on Willow Avenue in the 90s? was something to be fearful about. Running for union president at the age of 22 in 1999, that was something to be fearful about. Some crazy motherfuckers going for the union office. Having some coward on a fake Facebook profile and Shia Lossi talking shit to his people is nothing to fear. The scary part about somebody like me is not only am I crazier and more courageous than you, I'm fucking smarter than you. We can sign a consent form and go. Let's fight.
We can have an IQ test. Whatever you want to do, D-Black. Anything you want, bro. I know you're watching right now, probably behind one of your eight f***ing Facebook fake profiles. And you're going to say that I'm crazy. Well, bro. <laughs> you haven't seen crazy. But let me be clear. I'm not threatening you. Before you go run to somebody and say, Bill Amadeo is threatening me, let me break this down for you very clearly. So I know a lot of my other enemies are waiting for me to say something crazy on social media to try to get me off certain cases. Listen up. If you are a man and you want to fight, we will sign a consent form and do it legally. And I will take pleasure in beating your goddamn ass. If you think you could beat me in a fight, you don't know my f***ing background. If you want to have an intellectual debate, I will pay $2,500 and give it to charity and meet you at a place of your choice. What I'm guessing you're going to do is go with option three. You're going to be hide behind your little Facebook profile and sit there and make your little comments. Choice is yours, bro. If you're a woman... If you are Cindy Garber, and I mean this to Cindy and anybody else that could be, if it's a man or a woman, you really need mental health therapy, and I will pay the f***ing copay for you. Okay? You need it. Let me help you out. You're probably not doing as well as I am financially. Let me help you get the mental therapy you need. My God. I mean, is this sh really happening? Look at a D-block hit list. Oh, my God. Listen. Bloods, Crips, Latin Kings. I was on those hit lists in the 90s. That was a f***ing list to be worried about. I'm the white kid going home. Now I'm just a badass lawyer coming into town and somebody's pissed off. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. Tonight, a lot of shit about the read technique's been coming up in Washington County lately. We'll talk about the read technique. Um, it's actually nine steps to it, and I'll give you examples in my career of all these nine steps and how law enforcement can take advantage of people with the read technique. The read technique leads to false confessions, it preys on juveniles. It preys on people with mental health issues. We're going to bang that out. It's it's a serious topic to me. I'll tell you a quick funny story about the read technique. I published an article. I guess it was like 2018 or 19 about the read technique. And after I published it, Reed actually reached out. He was upset about the article. So I'm familiar with it. Then we'll talk about the Philly Fanatic. Best damn mascot in all of sports. I'll tell you some cool Philly fanatic stories. And then cheesesteaks in Jersey. About sub snobs. Let's start. When I think of the read technique, right? The problem I got with the read technique live audience is I'll start with two names Brendan Dassey and Jesse Miss Kelly. Brendan Dassey, you know, from Making a Murderer. This kid is still inside based upon a confession where he actually thought he was going back to school. Literally. Kid's got mental health issues. 
gets preyed upon. Then the West Memphis Three. West Memphis Three always blew me away. These three young men eventually took an Alfred plea in West Memphis, Arkansas. And an Alfred plea is something we don't have in Michigan. But what an Alfred plea means is you will plead guilty, but maintain your innocence. And basically it gives the state a free pass not to be sued in civil litigation. And that's funny because a few cases we have may end up in civil litigation when it's over. Get your insurance policy, Mr. Prosecutor, out. You know what I'm talking about, right? Anyway. So, Jesse Miss Kelly was a mentally challenged young boy in West Memphis, Arkansas. And the police come to his house. They basically coerce a confession out of him. This led to Jason Baldwin, Jesse Miss Kelly, and Damian Eccles doing a lot of time for murders they did not commit. DNA showed they didn't commit it. Alibi showed they didn't commit it. It was really a tragic thing. But it was all about the re-technique. So here's what the re-technique does. And understand something, guys. Tell young kids at home about this. Because this is the nine-step process. I always think of it like nine innings, like a baseball game. There's nine steps that the police are trying to gauge a confession out of. And let me say something here, because I am pro-cop in a lot of ways. However, when you're talking to a police officer, what are they going for? They're going for a confession. The officers are often not going for the truth. They're going for a confession. I'm not just saying that as a criminal defense lawyer. I'm telling you from a common sense perspective, watch what the read technique does. Okay? Step one. Direct confrontation. And there's usually two officers or more. But they're going to advise the suspect, hey, you know, there's this evidence. And you're a suspect. Right there, what you should do is the following. I didn't commit a crime. I'm invoking my right to remain silent. And I want my lawyer. What you did there was invoke your Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights automatically. There's case law that tells you that pre-Miranda silence could be used against you, believe it or not. And that's bold, right? Make the denial. Then invoke your right to remain silent. And usually the direct confrontation, that's like the first pitch of the game. That's the icebreaker. Right there, when the officer says you're a suspect, most people are shitting their pants. Understandable. But that's step one. Now... Here's what step two, it evolves into the officer saying, hey, I'm going to give you an opportunity to explain why this occurred. What they're trying to do right now is gauge a confession. Because if you start saying, okay, well, you don't have the whole story, but right now you are incriminating yourself. And when the officer goes, I'm giving you an early opportunity, all they're trying to do is build their case. That's all they want to do. I can't express how talking to the police is such a horrible thing for people to do. More innocent people end up behind bars because of the goddamn re-technique and false confessions. Here's step three. Now watch this. The officer is going to try to shift the blame to somebody else. This one is there's like co-defendants we see a lot. Hey, A, I know it really wasn't you, it was really B. But why don't you tell us what happened? They're trying to, we understand you weren't a big part of this. You were just a small part of it. That's not hooking you up. 
the only time a defendant gets hooked up with a confession is when they're making a proffer. That's a Facebook Live and a jail visit story for another time. When you're in this pre-charge situation and the officer is trying to shift the blame to somebody else, they're trying to get a confession. They're trying to massage your ego right there. Psychology is coming into play in criminal law right now. All right, step four. They're trying to minimize the frequency of the defendant's denials. Now think about that. There's a certain MSP polygrapher who I can't stand. Not Longoski, he's great. Derek Jordan, I respect. But this little piece of shit. You could deny you did something, right? And then he's going to say, okay, but. He's trying to find other crimes. Here's a fun story. I had a kid in 2019. He passes a private polygraph. He passes a police polygraph. But he told the polygrapher, this one particular polygrapher, listen, I understand it was somewhat consensual sex, but, you know, let's really talk about other things. And this poor kid admitted to getting the girl alcohol. He's 18, she's 15, they're drinking and having consensual sex. So what the polygrapher put in his report was that my kid got the girl drunk and had sex with her, therefore she was incapacitated. That's shifting the frequency. You're trying to minimize the frequency. That's step five. Step four, I should say. Step five, we transition again. The accused will give a reason why he or she could not commit the crime. Now here's what the officer will do. They'll say, look, we know it's not you. Just tell us why, what your alibi is. Then they're going to come back around to kill that alibi. What they're trying to actually do is harm defense counsel's job before you have defense counsel. That's dangerous, guys. Step six. They'll try to use the alibi you provided. They'll acknowledge it, but they'll try to shift it. Because they're trying to move you towards that confession. Okay, so you were at the baseball game at 7 o'clock at night. But before that game, did you meet the alleged victim? Well, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. See what's happening here? They're messing with your mind. Step 7. They gotta reassure you now. They're gonna tell the suspect, Listen, if you talk to us, we'll go to bat for you. We will help you out. How many times has a confession helped the defendant out? You know, our joke around here is if there's under three confessions, we're in good shape. The read technique, if you study it closely, they're trying to get a multitude of confessions and consistencies. And inconsistencies are f***ed up. If I ask you, what did you have for breakfast? I ask you at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, right? You may not remember. I had eggs, pancakes, and toast. Whatever. If I ask you at 10 o'clock, what did you have for breakfast? Um, I had eggs and toast. Oh, well, he forgot the pancakes. He must commit the crime. And understand something. With Reed, they're trying to keep the defendant there for an extended period of time. 
did the defendant have water? Were they offered food? Were they able to use the bathroom? Watch step eight. They're going to lead the suspect to repeat an admission of guilt. Going back to my favorite MSU polygrapher, what he did in this one case that we got dismissed, he's going to write down the confession for you. Okay, so you said this. Let's just go through that one more time. Now, why don't you put your initials right here? It's your fucking death warrant, man. Uh, and then they will document step nine. They're going to document the admission, provide the police report, and just like that, the innocent kid does 25 to life. That's the read technique. Nine-step process. And I keep going back to this one piece of shit officer for MSP who does this over and over again. Let me give you an example. I had a guy, before he was retained with our firm, it was a Grable case. There was a dismissal with... We won't mention her name. It was an up north case, right? He goes in to take the polygraph. The polygraph is inconclusive. So right now, that means the polygrapher could not detect if the guy was telling the truth or not. So he comes out and he tells this individual, we couldn't get you through the test. And the guy goes, well, I don't understand. I didn't do anything. Well, that's not what the test says. Why don't you just tell us what really happened? And he goes, because I'm going to go to bat for you. I'm going to go back and tell my boss, you're a good guy. This is not what you do. This is not you. And I've done this before in my career. But don't make a fool out of me, because I'm going to go to bat for you. And if I go to bat for you, you got to tell the truth to me. So come on, tell me what happened here. I don't know. Okay, well, let's just say you touched her. I'll just write that down. That okay? Here, sign your name to that. Hey, are you kidding me? So, when I got the case, I reviewed that interview, if you want to call it that, at least 200 times. And I'm going through all the nine steps to read. And I'm going to kick this guy's ass at a suppression hearing. And the prosecutor was trying to protect him. We eventually got the case dismissed, but I actually emailed the cop. I said, hey, listen, you said my client's such a good guy. I'm just curious. What do you know about him? Were you at his family events? How many grandchildren he has? And I was asking the cop all these things. And the asshole supervisor emailed me and said, please don't contact him anymore. Think about this. An MSP polygrapher has to run the teacher. Chris defense counsel's being too rough, but it's okay to manipulate somebody with the and read technique understand something read technique is often used in polygraphs your pre and post interview because in the state of michigan follow me here you do not have a right to have a lawyer at a polygraph test what i often do is i will go to the polygraph test and wait outside and tell my client if you need me i'm right here i'll bring my laptop and do work but you don't have a right to counsel there so it gives the cop a shot. I'm a big believer in polygraphs. I know certain prosecutors are a big believer in polygraphs when somebody fails or makes a confession, but when they pass, that doesn't matter. That's fair. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, you know, let's just lock people up for 25 years because you don't like them or the color of their skin, you know? Man, all those. Let me stop.
Read technique. Dangerous. If you don't believe me, study the West Memphis 3 case. I've written thesis papers on West Memphis 3. I've read over 20 books on this subject. I've watched documentaries. I can tell you right now. If you want to talk West Memphis 3, there's probably like three people in the world that want to do that right now. But if they do, dinner's on me. Let's break it down. The nine steps of the read technique is a problem. Because what the read technique will do is it will transition into a confession. Cops have a tough job. I respect cops. But follow the rules. The read technique gives them a free pass on compromising the rules. And it leads the innocent to incarceration. That's my problem with the test. It's been around since the 60s, I believe. And for decades, we keep seeing these cases over and over again. And then if you beat up the confession, then the prosecutor will hire some ass like Tom Cottrell to come in and say, oh, well, let me tell you why somebody's guilty. Tom Cottrell's fascinating. Let me come to his little goatee, his little earring on, and tell you how cool he is, how he works for the YMCA. First question is that ass on cross-examination. How much are you getting paid for your testimony today? Second question, ask Tom Cottrell, how many times in his career has he testified for a defendant? He is nothing more than a hired gun for prosecutors with weak cases. Oh, glad to go on a tangent there. Let's transition. Let's talk about the best god mascot in all of sports, the Philly Fanatic. That cool? Yeah. Alright. Now, many of you guys don't know the Fanatic. It's a Philadelphia thing. He's green. He's got like a red tongue that comes out. He's been known to harass other players. I'm going to post something about the Fanatic later. The Philly Fanatic is the coolest mascot in all of sports. Back home, the debate was always who was the better mascot. The San Diego Chicken or the Philly Fanatic. Now the San Diego Chicken has better marketing. He's this chicken, he dances around. They actually was a San Diego Padres mascot at first. The Fanatic was born in 1977. And it was an intern that decided, I want to start dancing around as a mascot. And what the Fanatic has done has become worldwide acclaim. When the Phillies sucked in the late 80s, the happiest part about going to the vet is when the music will start blasting, the Fanatic will start dancing around. He's famous for getting beat up by Tommy Lasorda, who was a manager of the Dodgers. In 1993, when we won the National League pennant, Tom Burgoyne took it over, and he was like a good luck charm. And the Fanatic's got like this brutal, brutal outfit. He has to have like a 40 pounds of ice in there because it gets so hot. If I could do it all over, I know my baseball career didn't take off. We talked about this, right? Could I have made it to the show as a mascot? I mean, think about it. I know my dancing sucks, but could I do enough crazy things to interest people in an outfit? It works in court. The big debate back home right now is who's the better mascot, Gritty or the Fanatic? Gritty is the Flyers mascot. He's just weird. I'm very biased to the Fanatic. Um, some of my happiest memories are the Philly Fanatic back home. He's just, he kicks ass. You gotta look up the Philly Fanatic. He's got the look. He's got the style, he's got the dance moves. He was cutting edge. What he's supposed to be is a crazy Philadelphia fan that lost his mind and became this green character. 
that was the whole premise of him. Um, you know, and I think about mascots. Remember the Homer Simpson episode? When he helped Big Bill McCloskey help the Isotopes to a victory and he became Dancing Homer. Then he made the capital city for one game. That made me think, live audience, that I could have made it to the major leagues as a mascot. In baseball, I was a good opposite field hitter. I played hard, but I didn't have it. I was a mascot. With all those hours in the batting cage, it paid off. I was just dancing around in an outfit. Guess we'll never know. Can't talk about Philly enough. All right, last one about cheesesteaks in Jersey. I'll tell you, there's something called sub-snobs in Jersey. These are the guys, and guys, the sub-tenders out there, I love you guys. I know you always thought you were cooler than me. It'd be like the guys working at the record shop. These were the sub-tenders. They were called sub-snobs, because if you worked at the White House, and now I guess Pete's, it was a whole big thing that you made cheesesteaks. And cheesesteaks back home were important. So I kind of looked down upon you a little bit when you walked in, but the best cheesesteaks in New Jersey are the White House subs, shop. I don't care what anybody says, there's nothing quite as good as a White House sub shop on Mississippi Avenue. In the ghetto, in Ducktown, in the 90s, the one thing you looked forward to was the White House. Like, this would be a big thing. A big treat was to go to the White House and get a cheesesteak. Plain and dry, perfect bread, perfect cheesesteak. It was amazing. Now... I gotta go to the chop house with f***ing Scott Grable here and bitch about how small the crap the uh, lobster tail is. Scott Grable, I know you're gonna tune into this later. We went to the chop house, I think it was like a week or two ago. We had a Detroit visit. He bitched over and over again how small his lobster tail was. He would not stop whining about it. And I'm thinking, boy, we've come a long way from the White House to the chop house, but... Sorry, Scott. I'm sorry about your lobster tail. The last thing I want to talk about is I want you guys to be careful about Yelp recommendations. Here's why. Back in our Lansing days, there's a competitor of the White House. And I'm friendly with these people, but their food's not good. But I was always friends with them as a child. So I'm on Yelp, and I'm typing up this recommendation, five stars. I said, ah, the cheese on their pizza stretches from Atlantic City to Manhattan. It's the greatest pizza you ever had in your life. You need this pizza. You only have one pizza in the Atlantic City area. Make it this place. So Kara, she's watching. She read the review, right? She goes, what the hell? You never took me there. Why'd you take me to this place? Oh, the food sucks. <laughs> she's like, what? But you just gave a good review on Yelp. Well, yeah, I like them. I don't want to eat their food. Don't trust Yelp. I'm living proof that you could lie on Yelp. Listen, I hope that establishment makes good money, but I wouldn't want to eat their food. But I'll help on Yelp. Maybe you'll have a different taste than me. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm burned out. After the re-technique, man, we kind of went off the trails. Anyway, I am Bill Amadeo. Like Madison Amadeo and Grave on Associates, let's do our shameless plugs. When you need criminal defense or cheesesteak recommendations, this is the place you come. Right, I gotta get it. It's gonna get weirder soon. Alright, I'm out. 
The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.